Well, listen, it is, it is good to be here at Hazelwood Baptist Church on this beautiful June 12th day. We're just a few days away from our car show. And folks, you need to be in prayer about that. Not, not so that we get a whole bunch of cars. That's great if we do. But what if we get a whole bunch of the message of Jesus given out to people? That's even better. So, I'm going to ask you today, if you would please, if you brought your Bibles with you, to turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to look at the, just three verses. Three verses. I have a five-hour message, but it's only three verses. Verse 1 says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Think of that. The leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. But the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now these are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, each lived on his own property in their cities. The Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. Let's pray. Father, give us great understanding, uh, Lord, that we might hear, and Father, even more so that we would apply the very truth of these words from your, from your book in our lives, Lord. Uh, Father, we as the church need to be diligent to look at your word, to read and understand and be obedient to that word, Father, that in all ways that we might honor you in Christ's name, amen. I mentioned to the 8 o'clock group that uh, I got a phone call from Brother Dave. <laughs> and he says, Pastor, he says, I've read these three verses, and I don't know what kind of music I'm going to sing for these. He says, I don't know of any songs about dice <laughs> or casting lots. But folks, there's a tremendous message in here. And, and the church needs to hear this. So, if you've been following along in our study through the book of Nehemiah, now, you know, we, we've been going for, I think this is like the 13th week. We've, this is over about a quarter of the year so far. We've been in this book of Nehemiah. But you might have noticed that I skipped chapter 7. We had no message on chapter 7. That chapter specifically deals with the population census that Nehemiah had. Chapter 7 and verse 66, it reads, The whole assembly together was 42,360. That is, in that, in that province of, of Judah at that time. Uh, if you recall, your, I don't know if you like geography or not, but Pretend, just indulge me and pretend that you do. You have Israel this big, okay? Israel's this big. And all the way down here is just this, this hunk at the bottom. That, that, that southern portion of Israel is the tribe of Judah. Okay? And that's where they settled back. It's, it's, it's by the Dead Sea area. So if, if, you're, if you've ever gone to Israel, Judah would be down by the... Just, just to the 
just to the west, or, or, or Jerusalem would be just to the west of the Dead Sea, the northern part of the Dead Sea. So they settled in that area. At that time, 2,500 years ago, 2,500 years ago, at that time, there was always the potential for an attack against Jerusalem and the resettled Jewish community. The problem is their neighbors didn't like them. You know, there's always somebody that doesn't like somebody. But Israel, you know, even back then, and even before that, even today, for thousands of years, for thousands of years, they've always had people that didn't like them. And back then, there were, there were certain people, certain, certain tribes of people that didn't want the Jewish people there in Judah, and specifically in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been a, a dangerous place to live and would require constant and vigilant guarding. If you're going to live in Jerusalem 2,500 years ago, you've you got to stay awake because your enemies wanted to destroy you. They didn't want that place to be, as we went through Nehemiah, remember, remember Sambalat and Tobiah and, and Geshem? They, they, didn't, they didn't want these Jewish people in there. They would do anything to get them out of there. And they were still upset, even though, they, even though they built up the city, they built up the walls, they were ready to settle in there, and all of a sudden there's 42,360 people in Judah, and now the question is, who is going to live in Jerusalem? Jerusalem, that most volatile city in, in, in all the inhabited world at that time. Who would want to live there when people want to kill you? So they cast lots for them. Nehemiah needed people to populate a potentially dangerous and volatile city. Therefore, anyone who would choose to live in that city would also take upon themselves an additional responsibility that others that did not live in Jerusalem would not have to deal with. You see, the other people living around Jerusalem but not in Jerusalem, they're fine. It's the people specifically in Jerusalem that the enemies didn't want there. And because of particular reasons. Number one, because Jerusalem will now become the, the central hub for trading. That means that other places that were making great money would be losing money because that money would be going as the, as the hub for trading would be going to Jerusalem. The other thing is that Jerusalem had a God that these other people didn't want to worship their God. You know, they worship the God of the Bible. And you believe it or not, isn't it amazing that religion for thousands and thousands of years has, has, seems to be a, a, a subject or a topic that people, if they don't want to talk about it, if, if you do talk about it, that some people want to kill you about it. Even in today's world, there are, there are places in this world that if you were to go there and you were to tell them that you were a Christian, they would kill you. Just because you are a Christian. The people who were then so spiritually inclined took it upon themselves to become volunteers to dwell within the newly rebuilt walls of that city. So, 
as we begin to look at our text for the day, we find that the people cast what they called lots. These casting of lots, it's called the Urim and the Thummim. That may not be familiar to you, but U-R-I-M and T-H-U-M-M-I-N. Urim and Thummim. They cast these lots to see who would live in the city. And out of 42,000, 42,360 people, some 4,000 people plus were selected out of these ca- this casting of lots. They were selected to live within the walls of Jerusalem. And they did so voluntarily. They said, you know, this is the will of God. How many of you, when you understand that the will of God is working in your life, that you want to say, listen, God, I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient to what your word says. I want to be obedient. When I understand what your will is, I want to do that will. I don't want to find myself being a backslider or slacking off what your, what your will says that I must do, what your word says that I must do. You know, the Bible says that we are to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the outermost part of the world, doesn't it? But sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just hard to get a witness, isn't it? Just hard to get a witness. We find it oftentimes much more convenient and less stressful and less volatile if we don't bother people and say, might I share with you a word about my friend Jesus? Because I guess we're afraid of what might happen. I mean, they may look at us funny. You know, sometimes you walk up to somebody, you know, and there are some people who can be rather rude. And listen, there are some people you walk up to, folks, if you start talking to them about Jesus, you don't know whether to duck or pucker because you're fearful what they're going to do to you. But we look at our text. 4,000 plus people were selected on the basis to, uh, of this Urim to move into Jerusalem along with many of the leaders who were already there in Jerusalem. We read of this Urim in Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 65, Ezra chapter 2 verse 63, Leviticus 8 and verse 8, and Exodus 28 and verse 30, and many other places in the Old Testament about they cast these lots called Urim the high priest, the high priest would, would wear this breastplate with all, with all these stones in it. And there would be a little pocket in there. And in this pocket he would have in this breastplate called an ephod. He would have this little pocket and he would have these two little stones in there. Kind of like dice. And he would take these two little stones out and, and along the sides of these stones would be these pictures. And they would toss these stones like you would a set of dice, a pair of dice. And you would toss them, and the way the pictures came up would, be, would determine what the will of God is. Now, we don't do that anymore today. Uh, today, when we're looking for volunteers, we beg and plead and, until we finally convince people that they need to do something. But that's how they determined who was going to live in Jerusalem. So in verse 1 of our text, consider these thoughts. It says that Jerusalem is called the holy city. 
Have you ever thought to yourself, how did Jerusalem get the name of the holy city? What makes that city holy? First of all, let me give you a couple reasons why. First of all, it was where the temple of God was to be located, where it was located. There was Solomon's temple. In Nehemiah's time, there was Zerubbabel's temple, which is what we're reading about here. It's called Zerubbabel's temple. And then the third temple that was built was called Herod's temple. And that's the temple that existed during the days of Jesus. All three of them, all three of them were, were raised to the ground. Solomon's temple was, was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 587 B.C. Zerubbabel's temple was, was, was raised by the Romans and rebuilt as, as Herod's temple. And the difference between Herod's temple and Zerubbabel's temple was a whole mess of stone. Herod's temple was huge, enormous, gigantic. And it's set up, it's set up if, if, if you're looking top to bottom here, if this is Jerusalem, if this is Jerusalem, the top up here would be where the temple of God is at. And way down at the bottom would be where the city of David is located, okay? So you have Jerusalem, the city, temple, big temple, priests and everything, very, very active. But down here, you have in, in the old section, you have of the, of the city, you have the city of Jerusalem, you have the city of David, the place of David. So it talks about this holy city. And in fact, in, in 2 Samuel, uh, just to give you a scriptural background here. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, it says, And David was dancing before the Lord. That's why, by the way, why they selected, why they selected Jerusalem to be the, the place for the temple. It says, And David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and the house of Israel were bringing up the ark, and the Lord of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. And it says that the ark happened to come to the city of David. They, David decided that the ark of the covenant, the square box, the rectangular box, about four feet long, about 20 some inches high, uh, and 20 inches so wide, uh, kind of like a, a chest. With, with the angels on top. You remember you seeing that in Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> but that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like, sort of. And he brought that into, this, into the city of Jerusalem. And every, every six steps they took from the house of Obed-Edom to, to, to Jerusalem, every six steps they took, they would stop. And they would offer a sacrifice. They would take six more steps and they would stop and offer a sacrifice. And six more, could you imagine how long it took to go just even a, a, a couple of miles taking six steps at a time and having a sacrifice. But David is just dancing before God and his wife Michael. Remember Solomon, uh, Saul's daughter, Michael, she gets upset. She says, man, you're taking off your clothes and you're dancing like a fool. He says, man, he says, listen, I'm just enjoying God. Isn't it amazing sometimes you want to enjoy God and there's somebody out there, you know, that's all we need in this world is another critic. You want to enjoy God and you find a critic that says you shouldn't do that. Well, you know, David had his critics and we got them today. They've, they've been around forever, haven't they? Just ever, forever, 
forever. Again, what makes this city holy? So this leads us to our second thought. Jerusalem is also called the place, and this is the most important reason, it is the place where God had chosen to put his name. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 13 it says, He that is Solomon shall build a house for my name. Where was Solomon going to build this house? In Jerusalem. God says, Solomon, I want you to build a house for me right here in Jerusalem. Why that city is called holy is because it is where the ark of God landed because of David. And it's holy because God says, it is right here that I want my name to dwell. And church, think of this, right here at Hazelwood Baptist Church, when we come together as God's people and dwell by the Holy Spirit, it is a place where God has chosen to dwell. So why should we separate ourselves and find other things to do on the Lord's Day? Listen, on the Lord's Day, the people of God ought to be together. It's the place where God dwells. When we fail to come together, there will come a time when God will write across the doors of any church that says we don't want to meet anymore. God will put across that church the word Ichabod. The glory is gone. God's glory is gone, Ichabod. If Jerusalem is the holy city, and if Jerusalem is the place where God has placed his name, we might suppose that the majority of the people in Nehemiah's day would be more than willing. Listen, if it's the holy city, this is where God is at. God, Listen, God's God's temple is there. God's name is there. If the place is holy, wouldn't you think that everybody, all 42,360 people would want to live there? No. They would not want to live there. Just the opposite is true. Most people more than likely didn't want to inhabit that city. So here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, by living in Jerusalem, even though it housed the temple of God, even though it housed the temple of God, and even though it was where God had chosen to place his name, it is very likely that the people saw the city as a place of scrutiny and expectancy. Let me define this for you a little bit. It would be, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, more watched, more scrutinized, more expected out of the people of Jerusalem than any place else in the world. Because that is where God is at. We're looking for pious people to be in a city. You, you got to walk around, you got to walk around stiff-necked, you know, pompous-like, nose up in the air, because, man, we're holy people here. You can't have fun there. You got, you got to be religious. You got to be special. Because that's the attitude, people. If you're going to live in God's city, if you're going to live where God dwells, how would you act? Well, I'm sorry, we're going to be watching a baseball game today. We're going to watch, we're going to listen to 12 hours of Pat preach. More scrutiny, more expectancy, more criticism more judgment than any place else on the face of this earth. 
because you dare to live where God placed his name. More required, more expected in a matter of spiritual obligations. The second reason why people wouldn't want to live there is due to the dangers involved in rebuilding the city and its walls seem to be a place of personal jeopardy. You live in Jerusalem 2,500 years ago, and you could be dead the next day because your neighbors hated you. Let me tell you about the neighbors. You know, everybody, we all have great neighbors, don't we? Everybody here, wonderful neighbors. I, I'll be honest, I live in a great neighborhood. I do. I love my neighbors. But the neighbors that they had back then, whew, you got to be careful. Let me tell you about their neighbors. One of them was the people of Ashdod. Ashdod if, if this is Jerusalem, and you go to the west of you go to the west of Jerusalem, up by the Mediterranean Sea, there's a place called Philistia, where the Philistines are from. Ashdod, are, that's those people. The Philistines have always, 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 always hated the Jews. Always, all, all through Scripture, they hated the Jews. So you have you have the the, the Ashdodites to the west, and then there's another group of people. To the north of you, there is the place called Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews never got along. Even in, listen, even in Jesus' day, they did not get along. The Samaritans were under the, the leadership of a guy by the name of Sanballat, who you heard about in Nehemiah. He wanted them out of there too because Sanballat wanted Samaria to be the, the, the hub of where people would do their trading. We got to get rid of Jerusalem because we're going to lose money. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of Jerusalem. And then, so that was to the north. And then to the to the east, to the east of Jerusalem, is a place called Ammon. The Ammonites, under a guy by the name of Tobiah, who's another one you'll read about in, in Nehemiah, he hated these people. He hated the Jews. And then to the south, and even to this day, were the Arabs. Do they get along well today? Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. You're surrounded north, south, east, west by an enemy. And when you say, I'm, listen, Hey, Nehemiah, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll volunteer to move into Jerusalem. You're doing so at your own peril. But on the other hand, on the, listen very carefully. On the other hand, there were some who, besides the leadership of that place, of the Jews, were, they were willing to reside in the city. They were willing to forego their own interests for the sake of doing what was best for the community. Listen very carefully to what I just said. They were willing to forsake. They were willing to forsake their own interests for the sake of what, was, of what they can do for their community. 
how many of you would be willing to forsake your own interests for the sake of assisting this church? So let's go ahead and apply this account to the church today, to you and I, the church. Do you recall that when we began this study in Nehemiah, that I noted that we would do so in making it in, in two major divisions, two, two thoughts. One would be the first half of Nehemiah would be our, our being serviceable to God. The last half of the book is our being sanctified before God. This has to do with sanctification. That is, Lord, I want to do something, not, not just do a work, but I want my life to reflect obedience, obedience and faith and trust in you and your word. I want to be set apart, God, that any time that you would ever want me, that I would be available to you. No matter, listen, fire or flood, Rain, sleet, hail, snow, Lord, whatever, you call me and I'm ready to go. It's like you being like Isaiah. The Lord says, Who will, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And, the, and Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. That needs to be you. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. Whatever the conditions are, whatever the need of the church is, Whatever the plight might be, when people, are, when people are, 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 are falling away, I will stay true. I will stay the course no matter what. God, listen, those are the people that we need. Are you willing? Are you willing against all odds, against a worldview that opposes what you believe? Are you willing to stand firm and stay the course because of your faith? That second division of sanctification is about living a life dedicated in faithfulness and obedience to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writing to the church of Corinth says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, it is required of stewards that they be found what? That they be found trustworthy. And the King James says that they be found faithful. Folks, God is looking for faithful people. Not that we would select uh, some out of just by a chance, but people who will stand and say, here am I, preacher. I'll do it. God, here am I. God, here am I. Send me. I'll do it. I'll do it. It's like the ball player says, coach, put me in. Put me in, coach. That's what we need in the church. We need that in the church. Therefore, let's put in alignment those who would, for the sake of others, be willing to live in the city of Jerusalem, even in spite of certain obstacles, and let's align those or let's match those with the church today. Both places, both places saw the potential for opposition. You know, it, 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 it amazes me. I don't care who you are. I don't, listen, it doesn't matter what job you do. You could be, you could have a, a no-name position in the church. And there's always somebody, there's always somebody that can do it better. It, 
It's like the guy watching a football game, and you're watching the world's greatest quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. And somebody says, oh, you know what? Man, that was, that was terrible. The guy that's sitting in the recliner watching that game is not in the game. You know, when you see three or four guys chasing you that weigh 340, 50, 60 pounds, and they can run a, a 40 yards in four and a half seconds, listen, you're going to run too. I sure, I sure would. <laughs> you know, it, it's, easy, it's easy to critique when you're, when you're at ease. It's easy to critique when you're at ease. But it's the guy that's in the game that gets his face is muddied up. His clothes are ripped. He's been beaten and bloodied and bruised. That's the guy that needs the applause. Not the, not the armchair quarterback. There's opposition and judgment and criticism. There's difficult endeavors and additional effort that people have to put out because you're working, serving the Lord. In the church, there are deacons, Bible teachers, greeters, singers and musicians, committee personnel, and so on and so on and so on. Listen, there are people who serve in capacities where there is virtually no name recognition attained. You know, you've got people doing things in this church that you don't even know who they are. Have you ever given a thought that you walk into this church and it's clean? Have you ever given a thought that you walk into this church and there are people out there handing you a bulletin? Have you ever given a thought that you walk, I walk in this church, you know what, every Sunday morning I find a bottle of water for the preacher down there. There's no name attached to it. People don't do a job and say, done by such and such. It's because somebody says, this is my service. I'm serving my church. I'm serving my Lord. I'm going to serve one another. There's no name recognition, but I tell you what, that name is given up in glory. If you hand out even a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, doesn't God record that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what you and I might say. Listen, when, when you find people in this church that are volunteering to do things, there's all kinds of people in this church volunteering to do things. You don't even know who they are, but when you find one of them, thank them. They're serving on committees and doing a, a yeoman's job. They're doing a stellar job. They're doing the best they can with what they have. You know what the church needs? We need to applaud these people who are willing to work. Willing to come up here and sing, play an instrument. Willing to pass an offering plate. Willing to pass the Lord's Supper plate. Listen, willing to hand out a bulletin. Willing to help clean this church. Willing to teach scripture. Oh, how about this? People willing to witness about the love and mercy of a, of a holy and just God. People who are willing to get down on their knees and pray. They can't do much anymore because their bodies are, are, are just racked with pain or because of age is taken over. But they get down on their knees. And I tell you what, some of you older people know what I mean. When you get down on your knees, you know how hard it is to get up sometimes? But you do it anyway. But you do it anyway. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that. Listen, God wants people like that to live in his city. 
And what is that city? That city, that temple is the church of Jesus Christ. Live in it. Work in it. Be serviceable in it. Be sanctified in it. Should they be commended? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Oh, folks, if you ever need a pat on the back, a hand applaud, some, some affirmation, this is the time. You find people in this church who are working, working behind the scenes, Thank them. Thank them. The church, friends, is where Christ has chosen to put his name. Christ has chosen to put his name. In Ephesians 1.22, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says this, and he put all things in subjection under his feet. That is that God put all things in subjection under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Listen. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. Christ has put his name upon the church. That's why you are called Christian. Not Baptist. Not Methodist. Not Lutheran. Not Catholic. Not whatever. Christian. When you put your trust in Jesus, you are a Christian. You don't automatically become a Baptist. You become a Christian. You become part of the body of Christ. He put his name in you and upon you. You are marked indelibly with spiritual ink that will never fade away. You are saved eternally. You will, go, you will go through glory with him. You will stand in glory with him. You'll be seated in glory with him. Christian, his name is upon you. Folks, listen. God fills the church with all the power it needs because he in Christ indwells the church with his Holy Spirit. We are then to function as the church. This means that the church is made up of people who are called out people to do ministry. People called out to work, to volunteer, people to pray, people to witness, people to serve in various places or capacities in this church. All of you, all of you, can do something. All of you. God has called. Listen, God has never called anybody and says, I'm going to save you and I'm going to put you at the bus stop and set you away for the spiritual bus to come pick you up and take you on to glory. God has never done that. God calls you into his kingdom and then you know what God does? God not only calls you into his kingdom, but God gives you a job as minister in his kingdom that you will be a minister to people. To serve one another, to love one another, be united with one another, to worship with one another. The church. You are God's holy city. You're the church. You who are workers for Christ. When you proclaim the gospel, that is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you explain that salvation is offered on the basis of his blood sacrifice. And by placing your trust into him, that God who is merciful 
will grant to you a newness of life. Put your trust in Christ. God puts within you a newness of life. You become a new creation. The old things are passed away. New things have become right now, starting anew. Whatever happened before, Listen, what does the Bible say? Whatever's happened before, what does God do with that sin? He takes it and he moves it as far as the east is from the west. Do you know why he doesn't say north and south? Because if you go far enough, far enough north on the earth, what happens? They start going south again. But if you keep on going east, you keep on going east forever. If you keep on going west, you keep on going west forever. He removes that sin as far as the east is from the west. He buries it in the depths of the sea. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Oh, friends, listen. I'm going to ask you today. God's speaking to your heart. Come to God's holy city. That holy city where God's people dwell. The church of the living God. That is, that is the church. You belong to the church when you belong to Jesus You're God's new temple. He doesn't reside in a temple made of stone or even of gold like Solomon had. He resides in a human heart that has been purged of sin, purged of darkness of death and gloom, and it's transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son. That's where he resides. Coming to his church. Not as just people who sit and do nothing, but come into his church as workers who need not be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person in this room, every person in this church that does the work. Lord, I might not even know them. They may do a work that people don't even recognize as being done. But Lord, thank you so much for each person, each person. Lord, they do this for you. They do this for you, Father. Thank you, bless you, praise you. Lord, you, you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, may we praise you today. And Father, I just, Lord, I'm praying right now, Lord, if there's somebody here today that does not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and our Savior, Lord, I pray today that that, that, that will change. Father, they, they're, they're so near hell, Lord, closer than, than they can possibly imagine, Lord, so near hell. But, Lord, would you today rescue them? Lord, as the song says, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Lord, would you do that today in Jesus' name? Amen and amen.